one of the richest blessings in life. Today, I, I'm not just talking about any relationship. I'm talking about friendships. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I decided to look up some verses about friendship. And these are just some of the verses I found. A friend loves at all times. And a brother was born for adversity. Another verse says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact that you're doing. Another one says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffer harm. One who has reliable, unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there's a friend who stick closer than a brother. You see, as we, we, we can see here that, that God understands our desire to be loved and, be, and to be known by others. From the very beginning, when God created man, he looked at man and said, it is not good for man to be alone. See, God, he understands our desire for companionship. And our friends can be a great source of love, of healing, of joy, and encouragement. And as we read through some of these verses and, and talk about friendship, you may be thinking about your life. I'm sure that you have people in your life that you've called friend or that they've called you friend. Throughout life, we have so many different types of friends different type of friends for different type of reasons. And, and you can probably think back to your childhood, your childhood friends, where, where you, you might have that friend that you have lots of memory with. So when you guys reconnect, you can start sharing stories left and right. Maybe you have a friend that was there for just a, a, a short season of life who helped you walk through something hard. Maybe it's a stranger that was just there for a moment and gone just like that. Or maybe you have that lifelong friend who knows your highest highs and your lowest lows. You see, as I was writing this message, I couldn't help but to think about all the people who, call, who I call friend. And some of you guys are in this room today. Some of you guys are sitting in this very room today. But as I continue to get older and I continue to, to think through this message, there was one thing that just kept coming to my mind over and over again, and it's this statement here. Friends are the family that you choose. Friends are the family that you choose. And those people that we call friend, we should be grateful for them. Today we're going to see how Jesus treasured his friends. And not only that, but he counts you as one of his friends. 
And as we begin to think about this thing, this ideal of friends, there's four things we need to know about being a friend of Jesus. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 17. I mean, there's a a lot packed into these verses, verses, but the thing that we're going to be focusing on is verse 15, where where Jesus calls his disciples friends. As you're turning there, I just want to take a quick moment to introduce myself, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet. My name is Cliff Hines. Uh, I get the privilege of being one of the pastors here. And and, uh, normally, you might hear me before you see me. on the kids' wing or around the kids' area um, because I'm the kids and family pastor here, and every once in a while, uh, they give me the opportunity to share with you guys here in this room, and so I'm grateful for that. Um, but John chapter 15, verse 9 through 17, reads us this. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey the Father commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one life for one's friend. You are my friend if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master does not confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father has told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. The, uh, sorry, you appointed, sorry, I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for this word that we are able to to read and to have. God, I pray that you begin to um, reveal the message that you have for us today. God, I pray that as we dive into your scripture, God, I pray that you limit distractions, open our ears and our, our, our eyes and our hearts for what you have for us to learn today. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all said, amen, amen. And so, the first thing here that we can see as we, as we look into to, to being a friend of Jesus is the first thing is this, is that Jesus, he loves you. He loves you. It's very simple as that. If we reread the text here from verse 9, it says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. You see, when Jesus said this to the disciples, we need to understand the context because uh, what the disciples did not understand at this moment is just that in a matter of moments, in a matter of hours, Jesus was going to die for his friends. He was going to be sent to the cross to die for his friends. But the thing is, they also, uh, in, 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 that we can see in this passage, is that before Jesus even sent to die, he is with his friends. And the thing is, is that his friends is about to betray him. Judas is going to hand him over to the religious leader. Peter, he's going to deny him three times. All of the other disciples will soon be scattered and uh, abandon Jesus, all out of fear. You see, in in this moment where Jesus is saying, hey, remain in my love, he knows that all of them will feel like a failure. But in this moment, 
as he's got his disciples gathered, he wants to build them up and remind them, hey, remain in my love. No matter what, remain in my love. I love you the same way that the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. But the same thing is true for you and I. You see, when we sin, when we mess up, when we fail God, when we turn our backs on him, we begin to try to talk ourselves out of a relationship with Jesus. We say things like, how can a loving father choose to love me when I did? You know what, God, I'm going to try to be better. I'm going to do better next time. But we keep doing the same cycle of turning our backs on God over and over again. And in those moments, we feel terrible. We feel unlovable. We, we begin to push others, and even we push Jesus away and try to push them out of our lives. But Jesus here, in this moment, he's trying to say the exact opposite of what we tend to want to do. He says this. He says, I know you're going to mess up. Remain in me. I know you're going to try to push me away, but remain in me. I know that you're broken. I know that you're a sinner. Remain in me. And if we're remaining in Jesus and, and abiding in him, that means that, that we remain in the Father as well. Because even, even Jesus himself said that, that Jesus and God are one. If we look at, at John chapter 10, verse 30, we can see that, that, that Jesus said, the Father and I are one. I mean, in this moment where Jesus says this, remain in me as I remain in my Father, uh, uh, remain in me as I remain in my Father, and, and love me just the same way the Father, and the same way I had loved the Father, this is the idea of, of, of Jesus could have just said, you know what? I love you. I love you. Remain in my love. But I believe that he's trying to get us to, to see and, and understand something di different is that there is unity between the Father and, the, and there's unity between the Father and the Son. And there's a relationship that if we are remaining in the, in the Son, that means that we also remain in the Father and there's a relationship that happens there and it's kind of like the idea of a nested egg. You see, in the movie Rise of the Guardians, it's about a group of, 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 of guardians who protect children in the world. There's a character named... North, who represents Santa Claus, who uh, asks a soon-to-be-a-new guardian, Jack Frost, he says, hey, what's your center? What is your center? You see, each of the guardians have a center, something that they put into the world, what they protect in children, and, 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 and North is trying to get Jack Frost to understand, hey, what's at the core of you? Easter bunnies? It's hope. Sandman? Sweet dreams, the tooth fairy, hers is memories. And North explains that, that at the center, at the core of who he is, lies deep inside of who we are and how we are able to see the world. And so on the surface, North, he seems like a, a stern and intimidating character. But as we begin to peel off the layers of him, we can see that North is a jolly, mysterious, caring, and, and, and that at his very center, he's filled with wonder. The wonder of Christmas, right? You see, that's what he put into the world. That's what he was born for. That's what he, he does to protect children. You see, North, just like all of us, 
we all have exterior identities, exterior vibes that we give off to people. We have a job that people see that, 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 that identifies of who we are. But the thing is, we all have a core too. We all have a center that gives our life meaning. What's your center? What, what gives your life meaning? You see, if we are truly remaining in the Father, if we're remaining in Jesus, then he will fill us with joy. In verse 11, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And so if we were asked the question, what's your sinner? This is what our sinner can look like. You see, people will see the joy that flows out of you. That's the first layer, right? Because Jesus said, I will fill you with joy. Your joy will overflow. People are like, man, this kid's happy. This person's happy. What's it, what, what are they all happy about? But then as they get to know you, the second layer, they get to understand that you have high moments, that you have low moments, that you have struggles, you have weaknesses. They get to know the real you, not just the person that you, you put on each, each day. See, like me, you know that I'm loud and boisterous. You can, see that, you can see that from a mile away. But once you get to know the real me, you can see that I have a love for kids. And all the things that I do on the outside is all because of what Jesus Christ did for me. And that's our, that's our next layer. You see, once people get to know the real you, they get to see Jesus in you, and they get to understand the only reason that you can be able to, to, to be so joyful in the high moments and the low moments is because of what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. And not only that, but then when they begin to see Jesus, they understand that, that it wasn't Jesus' um, uh, sole decision to make that decision to die on the cross for your sins. It's actually God a loving father who loved his son so much that he, you know what? He said, I'm going to send you to die for all the people as well. They get to see a loving father who sent his son to die on the cross for you and I so that we can overflow with joy so that people can be drawn in to who Jesus is. You see, the second thing we can learn about being a friend of Jesus is this, is that Jesus commands you to be a friend to others. In verse 12, it says, it says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for a friend. And when we talk about loving here in these verses, we got to love others with agape love. You see, in the Bible, the Greek uses three words for the word love. Eros, which is a romantic love, which is mostly used in the Old Testament. Philos, which is a compassionate love, a brotherly love. Thinking about the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Philos, bro, uh, love. And then Adelphi, Adelphos, which is brotherly. And then you put those two words together, you get the word Philadelphia, city of brother love, brotherly love. And the next one is this, Agape. In the New Testament, the word agape is used to explain how the Father, the Father who is God, loves humanity, and how humanity, in turn, should love God. Agape is the highest form of love, and it is the love that is characterized by a concern for others and their well-being. You see, in this verse here, in verse 12 and verse 13, we can see that word love used several times. And this same word love is also used in John 3.16, and a verse is so often used to summarize the gospel that says, For God so loved, agape, the world, that he gave his one and only Son, 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, this agape love is what caused God to send his son to die for you, to take your place, to take my place on the cross and pay a payment for our sins. Which leads me to this next thought. Loving others, it requires a sacrifice. You see, at this moment, remember, the disciples still does not know. Disciples don't know that Jesus is about to die. When he's saying these things, remain in me, lay down your life for a friend, all these things. The disciples are like, okay, that's cool and all. But they don't fully understand what Jesus means by love until the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross. You see, Jesus' love, Jesus love for us is what, required him, is what required him to go on the cross for his friends. It required him to go on the cross for you and I. And if his love, if his sacrifice is what caused him to give up his life for us, then we should do the same thing. We should be following in Jesus' example and sacrificing our lives as well. And now, no, I'm not saying go kill yourself or anything like that. You know, see, our sacrifice today looks a lot different than what Jesus did then. You see, our sacrifice today, um, it should be um, filled up in our love for God and our desire to obey him and please him. Like in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says this, so, and, and, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead that you give, uh, I, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. You see, all of our sacrifices may look a little bit different. Your sacrifice might be the time that you give to serve others. I want to take a quick moment just to give a shout out to some folks who have uh, taken some time out of their life to serve others. This is a group of leaders who have decided to say, you know what? I'm going to take two hours out of my day to invest in kids and to share with them the good news of the gospel. We began to start this program back in uh, October, and we up to 29 kids now that are hearing the gospel on a weekly basis because of eight people said, hey, you know what? I'll sacrifice some time. You see, we could have done anything. I, I, didn't, I didn't want to really go and hang out with kids after a long day of work, but I said, you know what? This is worth it. And so we hope to have more Good News Clubs and more, and more elementary schools in our county. And so if you're like, hey, that's maybe something I can do, talk to me. Talk to Ms. Julie. Ms. Julie's our fearless leader who, who came up with the idea to say, hey, new work, let's start one. And I said, I don't know how it's going to work. We're not going to get enough volunteers but people decided to sacrifice their time and give it up. Maybe you say, hey, I don't have the time to do that. I don't have the time to sacrifice right now. I'm really busy with work, and that's, under, that's understandable. Maybe it's a season of life where you, where you say, like, I, I don't know if I can pour out right now because my, my bucket's empty. Maybe your sacrifice can look like your solitude that you spend in prayer. That time that you remove yourself away from all the life craziness, say, God, I just want to spend time with you. I will sacrifice 10 to 15 minutes of my sleep in the morning to spend time with you. Maybe it's a spiritual discipline that you practice each and every day. How's your chair time? Are you sacrificing your time for the Lord? 
Maybe your sacrifice is the freeness that you can express in worship. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm tired. But I'm here and I'm worshiping the Lord. And so we should worship the Lord as, he, as if he was here in this room. Maybe we need to put down our coffee for a little bit, unclothe our arms and be able to raise a hand and lift it up to God because the thing is, is that your freeness and worship, it might be what leads somebody else to have freeness and worship. And then that might lead somebody else to, to fully get to know and understand, man, this is the God that we can worship freely. Maybe your sacrifice is the generosity that you have when you give to others. Many people in this room give generously to the Lord. And, and, and you're going to hear about all the end of mission things that we're, the end of uh, missions offering that we're going to be doing and how all the money is going to all these different places to have an impact in our community and our world that we live in and, and, and all around the world that we live in. Not just here, but we're reaching out all because of the generosity of people that are here in this room. What's your sacrifice? What does sacrifice look like for you? The truth is, your sacrifice can look like a number of different things. But the two things I know for sure about sacrifice is that it's going to cost you something, and it's going to be uncomfortable. Sacrifice is going to cost you something, and it will be uncomfortable. Pastor Kevin shared with us a great definition of sacrifice, um, and, and it's something that we can all understand and something that we can all relate with. He says this, is that sacrifice is giving up something you love for something that you love more. Giving up something you love for something that you love more, and this is what God did. This is what Jesus did. All because Jesus and God, they love you. They love you. And so when we see here in these next passages where Jesus steps out and, talk, and talks to his disciples, he's changing the dynamics of the relationship. He's saying, hey, you're no longer my servant. Now you are my friend. Let's see what it says here in verse um, 14 and 15. It says, you are my friend if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master does not confide in his slaves. Now you are my friend, since I have told you everything the Father has told me. I think there's something that we need to see in this passage that uh, um, I think that gets passed over often is that this is that obedience is the key to remaining in Jesus' love and friendship. I believe in churches today that we do a really good job of emphasizing the importance of grace. I think we do a really good job in, in emphasizing the, the importance of mercy. Yes, Jesus has already died for all of our sins, and that he will forgive you no matter what, if you ask. But the thing is that this is that so often that's where we stop. Oh, I can accept Christ. I can live however I want to live. I come to Jesus, and he's going to forgive me. But I believe that we have failed when we have sugarcoated the importance of obedience after salvation. You see, even here in this passage, two times we see where Jesus' love and friendship is contingent on our obedience to do what he has commanded us to do. In verse 10, it says, when you obey my commands, you remain in my love. When 
a condition there. When you obey my command, you remain in my love. Verse 14 says, you are my friend if you do what I command. You see, I don't want you to hear me on this now, is that I'm not saying that Jesus' love changes from day to day. I'm not saying that his, his friendship is not available for anyone who wants to come. What I am saying is, is that Jesus' love is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. His friendship is open to everyone, but depending on the way that we act, the way that we behave, the way that we obey God, the way we choose to follow him determines our positioning of being in his love or outside of his love. Are you being obedient to Jesus? Are you following him? Are you abiding him? Are you obeying his commandments to remain in his love? You see, when we remain in Jesus' love, it causes us to get closer and closer to the Father. You see, there are several people in the Bible who have identified themselves or have been, has, has been identified as servants of God. Moses, Joshua, David, Paul, James, they all identified as a servant of God, as a slave to God, as a bond servant to God. But the thing is, is that even Jesus himself took the role of the servant when he knelt down and washed the disciples' feet. So there is nothing wrong with being called a servant of God or being called a slave of God. The thing is that this, is that Jesus now is coming to redefine the relationship. He said, you know what? I no longer call you slaves because a master does not confide in his slaves. Now you are my friend. Since I've told you everything the Father has told me. You see, a master gives orders. He gives orders to his servants, and, and he tells them what they're going to do, and guess what? They have no choice but to obey. But Jesus... He's a friend. He communicates with us. He shares intimate moments with us. He's trusting us with heavier conversations, the heavier topics about the Father and his love for us. And that's what he does here. He does it the whole time that the disciples are with, are, are with Jesus. He continually is revealing to them what the Father is like. After Jesus has had this moment with the disciples, he continues to explain to them about what does it mean to be a friend of God. But then Jesus decides to take a moment to spend time praying and talking with his heavenly Father. He says this in John chapter 17, verse 6 through 8, about his disciples, about you and me, about the people who have heard his word. He says, I have revealed to you, I have revealed you to them, those whom you gave me out of the world, they were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you've given, uh, that you've given to me comes from you. For I gave them the words you've given to me, and they've accepted them. They know, they knew, uh, sorry, they knew, they know what, they knew with certainty that I came from you, and that you, and they believe you sent me. You see, Jesus has said that we belong to the Father. The Father has given Jesus authority over our life, has given Jesus the words to say, and the people have believed in those words. And now Jesus is saying, hey, God, they were yours at the beginning. I'm constantly revealing to them who you are. 
And so as we get closer and closer to Jesus, that means that Jesus is constantly revealing to us the relationship that we have with the Father. So are you remaining in Jesus? Are you spending time in God's work to know more about who God is and what he's done for you? Because when we do, the Father is continually being revealed to you. The next thing is this, is that Jesus chose you to be his friend. In verse 16, it says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and to, go and to produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. I believe that when Jesus was going to each of the disciples and saying, hey, you follow me. Hey, drop your nets and follow me. Hey, leave that tax collector booth and follow me. I believe he was thinking of us. I believe Jesus was thinking of us when he chose disciples. You see, one of the sweetest blessings of life is the people that we have around us. And yes, the truth is they can also be the biggest pain, right? Jesus got to experience the blessing and the pains of having people close to him. Jesus know what it feels like to be let down. Jesus know what it feels like to be to be betrayed. He knows what it feels like to be abandoned. He knows what it feels like to be denied. And these were all by the people who were closest to him. But Jesus was still grateful for them too, though. And if Jesus was grateful for the imperfect bunch of people, the disciples that he had around him, um, then he will be grateful for the imperfect people we are today. The text says, I have, ch I have called you. I have chosen you. I have appointed you. And so Jesus, he knows your name. He calls you friend. Jesus looked around and he chose you. He said, I know your highest moments. I know what you're good at and I know what you're really bad at, but I still choose you. And he appointed you. He says, I know your name. I know what you've been through, but I need you to go and produce lasting fruit. So don't let your story, your struggles, your shortcomings, your worries, your doubts about who you are keep you from doing what God has in store for you. Because God has a purpose for your life. He wants you to produce lasting fruit. You see, during the, the rush and the hurry of this season, you know, talking about Thanksgiving, you know? How many of you guys ate a lot of food? I did. Coming up, thinking about all the gifts we need to buy, all the places we need to be. During the hurry and rush of this season, take time to remember the gift that Jesus has given us of relationships. Take time to treasure your friends. Be grateful for the people that he has placed in your life. Because the truth is, yes, they may be imperfect, but so are you. If Jesus is thankful for you 
and he's thankful for me, then there's people in our life that I'm for sure that we can be thankful and grateful for. I know that as I think about my own life, and I take a moment just to reflect on all the friends that, that Jesus has placed in my life throughout the time, I can't help but to be grateful and thankful for Mr. Bill Harrison, who was my FCA, FCA chaplain who led me to the Lord. I can't help but to be thankful for, for Zach, who was one of my camp counselors when I was back in high school and college time, who saw leadership in me before I even saw it in myself. I can't help but to be thankful and grateful for Aaron Pontius, who's my mentor, who's my dad, who's my brother in Christ, who modeled for me what it was like to, to be a, a godly man and a godly father. I can't help to be thankful for Steve Greenwood, who was my mentor and encourager, who that when I told him that I think the Lord's calling, to, calling me to ministry, he fed it like no other. There's people in our life that we can be thankful for who was there for a moment or who's been there for the full time of it. You see, Pastor Kevin told us last week that, that it is one thing to, be, uh, to feel gratitude, to feel it in the inside, but it's something else to give thanks. So let's be thankful. Let's, let's, let's be thankful like Jesus was thankful. You see, I'm so thankful for those friends who introduced me to Jesus. I'm so thankful for those friends who invested in me, who called me their friend. And now I'm at the point in my life where I understand what it's like, to, what it means to be a friend and to impact others. And I believe that I'm at the point in my life where I can do that for others. And so can you. Doesn't matter how old or how young, you can be a friend to someone else around you. So my final thought is this. If Jesus chose to be a friend of sinners, then we should go and be a friend to others. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much for the wonderful gift of friendship that we have in our lives. God, we thank you so much for the community of believers that you have placed around us. God, I praise you for the people that you have blessed me with. God, thank you for the ones who have come alongside of all of us to love us, to encourage us, to support us, to give us life and lift us up, even through the crazy moments of life. God, I'm so grateful that I don't have to go through this life alone that you've shown us examples of love through your relationship with your friends. God, I pray that you would be present in our friendships, that you would draw us near to each other, to a deeper community with one another, and ultimately to a deeper relationship with you. God, I pray that you would help heal the brokenness in our friendships, that you would restore friendships that have fallen apart, and God, I'm so thankful, most of all, for the relationship that we can have with you through your son, Jesus Christ, whom died in our place on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray.